0: I'm going to tell you all a story to start some parts of the story are kind of funny but then some parts of the story are kind of sad but i went through that sadness back then which was a long time ago so you still could laugh at my sadness so don't feel bad don't i'm I'm over it okay so when i was about 12 13 my mom started uh having me and my younger brother who's two years younger than me he started having us do the laundry for the family so it's a laundry, uh, laundry about five for about five people. So we would go to the laundromat, So we had this cart that my brother would pull, and then we had a big bag, and that big bag was mine, and laundry bag, and we go to the laundromat. Now, how many of you all know a little bit about laundromat culture? Okay, good. Some of you all like, you just go downstairs. No, there's other people in the world that have to do something different. I remember when Diana and I were, this is a side note, when we, were looking at our, when we were looking for a new house, the house that we have now has a laundry chute. So from the first floor, you could throw stuff down there, and it goes to the laundry room. So I don't even know about the rest of the house. We didn't ask any more questions. We were like, sign us up. <laughs> but uh, so at the laundromat, you wash your clothes, but then there's this little trick with the dryers. See, what you want to do with the dryer is you want to stalk people almost and watch them. Because if they've been drying for like 40-something minutes, as soon as that dryer stops, you put your clothes in there, you might only need to use one quarter, because that thing is hot and ready, like, like Little Caesars, it's hot and ready. So you put that one quarter in there, and you might get it off of 20 minutes. And you dry, and then as a kid, I could take that twenty, minute, uh, 20 uh, 25 cent that I was going to pay for more and be able to use that for a snack. or use Back then, that used to be a snack, guys. You can use it to play a video game. So we used to be really smart. We used to stalk people. So I was stalking uh, this person, and they had just finished drying, and they went through, like, multiple loads. So that dryer was was really hot and ready. So I was putting my clothes in there. And then I, what you do is you actually take a little bit of your clothes, and you just start putting clothes in there that, like, keep your dryers. So when I did that, I thought I had my dryers set up next to each other. I go to get the rest of my clothes, and this was my white load, all the whites. I put it in this dryer. All of a sudden, I hear someone yelling, What are you doing, little boy? And I looked around. I knew she wasn't talking, but she was talking to me. She said, Why are you putting your dirty clothes in my dryer with my clean clothes? And I'm looking at her, I'm like, I just washed these just like you did, right? That's what I'm thinking. But here's where the story gets a little funny. We open up the dryer. She had her whites in there. I had my whites in there. But I'm gonna tell you all, my whites were dirty compared to her sparkling, clean, I mean, they were like super white. (laughs) And she literally was picking out my clothing, which I thought was white, but it was actually like a gray compared to that. She was picking out my clothing and taking it out one by one and throwing it into my car. And she was like, oh, all these dirty clothes in my, with my clean clothes. And I remember I was just so embarrassed. I didn't tell my mom that story because my mom's a bit of a hothead and she'd come back. Uh, But let me tell you something. When I was growing up in the hood, I didn't know I was growing up in the hood because everyone else was going through some of the same things. So it was like, oh, everything's equal. But that was one of those times where I started to figure out maybe what I think is white, Or what I I maybe think is right about stuff. Maybe my white clothes aren't as white as I think white's supposed to be. I started to learn that there was some differentiation. And I started to go through something where I started to actually get kind of emotional about it all. And like, what what other things are out there that I don't really know? That when I compare what I have, what I own, what I've purchased, what's been purchased for me, comparing it to other people, it doesn't even really stack up. This actually became, you know, our our series is called Enemies of the Soul. It became something that became, uh, it was something that that began eating at me as I was kind of growing up. And even when I went to a great high school, it was like, can I really compete this this kid from the neighborhood going here? And then college, and was I really going to finish? And then going into a public school system where I was supposed to teach, can I really, can I really be a teacher? It was really weighing on me. And what we're going to talk about today is something that causes a lot of those feelings. It's the religion of our day. It's what I call the God of our day. And what we're going to be talking about is this idea of buying and acquiring and needing things to stay on par with everyone else. To have the same color white clothes as those really white clothes. Exodus 20:17 tells us, part of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Guys, we're going to be talking about what I feel is the God of our day, which is what I would like to call consumerism, overconsumption. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that we go out and we can be changed and we can do something different. We thank you for this time that you give us. And we pray that we will not take this time lightly as we look into your word, your love letter to his children. In Jesus' name, amen. So consumerism is a little bit tricky, guys, because it's an in and out. It's an inside issue. You can't tell when I'm coveting. You can't tell what maybe my in, inner desires are. You can't see that. But you can see the outward piece, probably. You can see how I own things and how I treat them, right? So consumerism is a little bit different, a little bit different in that way. It has two levels to it. So what I'm going to do right here is just kind of chop this up, okay? So you see in that word consumerism, you see consumer, you see consumption. And what what, what, what the best way to define it is an excessive consumption of material goods and services. Excessive, meaning too much. And this has become a culture. It's become an ideology. And I would like to say it's become a false god. It's almost become a religion. You see, the market kind of dominates our lives. It's almost like a story that we all kind of are living in. Some philosophers call it the meta-narrative, the overall, our overarching narrative of American culture. Or just Western culture in general. Think about the thousands of images and signs and if you go to some cities, they're everywhere. You literally cannot, like, not see a billboard or an advertisement. Oftentimes, what we consume doesn't even match up with what we need. In fact, it's so off balance. There's such an imbalance. I have an example of that here. And if anyone is wearing these shoes, I apologize. What I, want, what I wanted to do is show you all a picture of two shoes. Anyone recognize these? Oh, some fancy people here, maybe? Okay. Okay. So, over here on the left, these shoes are called the Gucci Ace B Edition. That picture right there is a picture of a bee. I, don't, I know like five people in the whole world that like bees, but that's a picture of a bee. Okay? And they retail for $650. I checked to see if they had like a special cow that the leather came from. No. The, sh- the shoelaces made out of baby whale skin or something? No. They're pretty much the same thing, but what does it have? It has that branding, it has that market identity. Uh, it has in there, when you wear those, it has esteem, it has levels of culture that you just walk around with. Right? Now, these over here are the knockoff brand. Okay? Some of you all say those got like three extra layers. So I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> but let me show you something about that. These are this is literally the name. You can look it up. Fashion thirsty striped sneakers. That's what they call. I don't think their branding and marketing is as good as uh, the other right there, right? And then the cost of those is thirty five ninety nine. How many of you all know that buying those gucci shoes means a lot to many people right what does it do for them what does it mean buying those gucci shoes is what i would like to say is the matrix you know it's like the matrix it's like the web that we're kind of tied into and there's some people when they're tied into that web you can see things that have the exact same ingredients but if the packaging is of a name and a brand and, a, and, and something that's been put at them for so long, they will pick that thing and pay much more dollars more, even though the science of it all says exact same ingredients. That's what will happen. So what happens with consumerism and what it does in terms of affecting us is it's become an asocial phenomenon too. So what we find is, is you would think that as people get more and more of what they want, they would almost be like more friendly and maybe more able to hang out with other people. But what ends up happening, though, is we've seen in society that it actually has the opposite effect. You see, what's going on is what they call the line effect, right? As soon as I'm at this level, if I see someone else at this level, I feel some type of way. I feel some type of way about that, and so I do things to try to get back at that level. And so there's this constant doing that, and in that it creates competition towards each other instead of charity. One thing I realized, too, is that because it's so asocial, now trying to entertain people becomes much more more important. So think about this. Consumerism does not start families. It does not keep people together. And what's sad is this is something as believers we should be going against. But if you notice, many church movements actually copy consumerist ideas, consumerism ideas. You know, what, what a lot of churches do is they try to entertain. They try to pe- bring people in. A lot of times they're taking members from other churches. When you can look at studies in most major cities, over 75% of the people don't go to church on Sunday. There's all these people out there, but all, churches are all competing for that other, that other percentage. But one thing that's really rough about consumerism and how it has an impact sometimes in our walk with the Lord, is overconsumption, consumerism. You can't, you can't entertain people into discipleship. <laughs> you can entertain them to come to a Sunday service, but you can't entertain people enough to bring them into discipleship, to life on life, where it takes over, because something else has taken that spot. Consumerism being this idea of safety and security, Comfort and convenience. We buy stuff in bigger houses to find our security against the dangers of the universe and to secure our status. Status, uh, meaning, uh, security, safety. Jesus gives those things. But oftentimes we make a terrible exchange and, 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 and choose the things of this world. Lastly, I like to say and argue that it's an alternative religion. Many philosophers say it's the religion of our day. There's status anxiety all over the culture. People become unhappy. You see, religions offer meaning, identity, purpose, belonging. Consumerism is trying to do that. And to be honest with you, it's a whack form of spirituality because it doesn't work. It offers all that you covet, but it can't deliver on those things. It can't deliver on the the big things. So that's why I call this sermon the God of our day with a little g, because it really doesn't deliver. Consumerism is the enemy of the soul, guys. It can leave you anxious. It can leave you struggling with who you are. And the big thing is it doesn't embody the gospel, and it doesn't embody the things that Jesus taught. Actually, he taught against this. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Luke chapter 12, where a situation is occurring. See, in Luke 12, by this time, you can go ahead and turn there. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus still has a crowd going. There's still crowds kind of following Jesus. These people have been raised in the propaganda and the ideas of the Pharisees. That was kind of like their religion of the day. But still, Jesus was drawing big crowds. The Pharisees at this point of the story of the narrative of Jesus were basically saying that Jesus was of Satan. And you know what's weird? Today, the way people react towards, if you say like a phrase like evangelical or Christian, we almost seem like the the devil of the day. People hear that phrase and it has all these things. You look at their eyes and they're like, what? One time they asked me, what's your denomination? I said evangelical. I didn't even get to the free. Which some people think evangelical free means we're not evangelical. So I try to say it fast, and then they, there's all these things that go into it. But I said evangelical, and they like literally step back. You know? So Jesus was contradicting their religion. So of course they were saying he was wrong. You're, you're like from the devil, you're wrong. He was contradicting their their uh, religion. But still people thought he was the best show in town. He was healing people, so there were people following him. And in verse 1... He, he says, that this is what happens. It says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were trampling on one another, he began to say this to his disciples first. And that word disciples there is not his 12. That's just disciples like learners right there in that word. It says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he's warning them against the religion of the day. You see, the Pharisees were hyper, hyper religious. They were fanatically religious. But even so, in Luke 16, 14, it said of them that they were lovers of money. That They didn't have a divorce between the natural and the spiritual. So they struggled with what they thought about money. So Jesus starts telling them about how to beware of all this stuff going on. But then there's that one person in the crowd. Any of you all know the one person in the crowd? Or maybe you're the one person in the crowd. Like something's going on, but you got to interject something off, off task. Some of you all were that kid in school. Okay. So this one person yells out and says, you know, teacher, my, my brother, remember he's talking about spiritual things. But he says, my brother won't, sh- tell my brother to share uh, the inheritance with me. Totally off topic. And talking about money when talking about earthly things, when Jesus is talking about spiritual things. He totally was trying to, like, flip the script. Jesus wasn't even talking about that. So Jesus, I can almost see, seeing that this guy isn't understanding, or maybe others in the crowd isn't understanding that there's things way more important than money, and getting stuff, gives this story. And this is a parable. And you guys know a parable literally means to lay alongside. So you got a parable. It's a story that lay alongside a spiritual truth. Earthly story, heavenly meaning. So let's read that parable. Luke 12:15 to 21. It says the man I'm sorry. And Jesus said to them, "Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions." And he told them a parable saying, "The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do?" So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. God, Jesus called this man a fool. And he called this man a fool for three reasons. First reason Jesus called this man a fool was because he allowed the way he lived his life to outdistance the very reasons a person should live their life. You see, the simplest definition of covenant is basically God saying, this is what I want for you. This is what's right. But when we say, or when someone were to say, someone to say, that's not what I want for me. Covenant is when we want what we want. And there's overconsumption of what we want. Contentment is, I want what God wants. But consumerism doesn't give that. You see, this man... This man had earthly plans that became more meaningful than anything eternal. I think that's a good definition, too. When your earthly plans crowd out or literally consume eternal ideas. There's a story in Atlanta about a gentleman who let his wife use the Cadillac. And she was driving and she got into an accident on the highway. They called the man... And reported to him that his wife had been in an accident on the highway. And the, man first, and the man first thing he said was, how much damage occurred to my Cadillac? A person is infinitely worth more. And we're even comparing an earthly thing to an earthly thing. But that's what happens with a fool. They begin to switch what's going on here on earth. And taking that for what's so much more meaningful. So he had a plan. His plan was to enjoy and, and live life in his wealth. And I don't know if you guys are catching this, but wealth is not the sin here. You could be poor and be a fool just like this man as well. You could be middle class to be a fool like this man as well. We have no reason that he got no reason to think that he got rich in a dishonest way. He probably worked hard. It doesn't seem like he bothered many people. However, he did not separate what is spiritual from earthly, eternal from temporary. He did not know that we're supposed to seek the kingdom of God first. He was seeking something else. Martin Luther King, many years ago, actually preached on this text on the west side of Chicago. And here's one thing Dr. King said very eloquently. He said he was a fool. Because he maximized the minimum and minimized the maximum. He allowed his technology to outdistance his theology. This man was a fool because he allowed his mentality to outrun his morality. I wish I was Dr. King, at least when I spoke, right? He was an eternal fool, not just one here, one on earth, here on earth. He was an eternal fool. How foolish to make all these grandiose plans, but not to consider or think about God, not think about others, and forget that you could die any day. How foolish is it to be a consumer and let that weigh on your soul, to be greedy and covetous, self-indulgent, to hoard what you have, and then know that it could be a possibility that you might have to leave it all behind. And James talks about where a vapor And we need to think about God when we even consider when we make plans. And this person did not do that at all. This person in this parable. Jesus Jesus also called this man a fool because he failed to realize his dependence on others. Can we go back to the text for a minute? I want you all to do something with me. Let's look at all the words that mean I or refer to him. Okay? I'll try to keep a running count. You all try to keep a running count. Let's think about when he speaks. And he begins speaking in verse 17. And it says, And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, here comes third person, this is when you know someone fooling himself, soul, Carlos, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There goes the word be, which is a verb of existence that refers to himself. You guys you guys get the, the, the drift of what, how he thinks of himself? You don't see him thinking about anybody who got him there or anything else. These are his plans. And we have to remember that any little thing we do, there's so much that goes on to even make that thing happen. Dr. King had a great example. This is uh, You guys might have heard this before. This is pretty famous. This is Dr. King on this. He says, maybe you haven't even thought about it. But you can't leave home in the morning without being dependent on most of the world. You get up in the morning, you go to the bathroom, and you reach for a sponge. And that's been given to you or made by a Pacific Islander. You reach over for a towel, and that's been given to you by a Turk. You reach down to pick up your soap, and that's been made by a French woman. Then after dressing, you rush to the kitchen, and you decide this morning that you want to drink a little coffee. That's poured in your cup by a South American. Or maybe this morning you prefer tea. That's poured into your cup by a Chinese. Or maybe you want cocoa. That's been poured into your cup by a West African. Then you reach over to get your toast. And we all know that came from England. <laughs> an English-speaking farmer. Not to mention the baker. Before you finish eating breakfast in the morning, you are dependent on more than half of the world. That should be sobering. Any little thing we do, all over the world, things happen. We are dependent Don't forget it. No matter where you are today, you know, people helped you get there. Ordinary people doing extraordinary, extraordinary, ordinary tasks to get you where you are. Don't forget those people who helped you. Don't be like this rich fool who was eye-centered. We need help to get the things we have. A lot of times when we keep storing and, and, and overconsuming, we, we almost start to believe that, you know, look at this, look at my creation, look at my empire. That's what this rich fool was doing. God gives us what we have. The, the rich man forgot that. Think about this. Consider this. Maybe if he stopped and started to think about how much he was helped, maybe he would have made different plans. Maybe if we think about how we got the stuff we had. Every day, every little thing, even breathing, right? A glass of water. If we stop and consider this stuff, maybe this overconsumption won't ail us as much. The last reason Jesus called this man a fool. Whoops, sorry. Is Jesus called this man a fool because he failed to realize his dependence on God. He began to act like he himself was the creator. He almost like, I'm going to take this down, put this up. Start to act like he was the creator, not the created. He exchanged worship of the creator for worship of the creation. That's a bad exchange. Romans 1 talks about that. People exchange the worship of God. So one that started it all, they exchanged that for things that he made and worshiped those. This man was a fool because he didn't consider his mortality. And this is the consumer's nightmare. This is the person that's materialistic's nightmare. You know what the nightmare is? You gather all this stuff for yourself to look a certain way. And then you die. And somebody else will get your stuff. And not use it the way you probably would have used it. That idea that... That Jesus, that part where he goes with that part of the story, that would have been shocking to them. Because part of the Pharisee culture was saying, you know, being rich is a sign that God is blessing you. And so for this guy to die and not get to benefit, that would have been the shocking part. Most parables had a shocking part. That would have been the shocking part for them. That would have been the shocking part for that guy that yelled out, my brother's not sharing the money right. That's a bad exchange. There's a guy in this church named Caleb. He's married to this girl named Renee. Not that anyone ever talks about it. Anyway, so this guy Caleb has a, used to have a job working for a funeral home. And he has amazing stories about the funeral home. you got to catch him, Okay? But one story he's never told me is seeing a hearse drive to the funeral home with a U-Haul attached to it. He ain't never told that story. They don't have a hitch because there's no need for it. Everybody knows when you die, you can throw whatever else you want in there, but it's not going anywhere with you. So We can't fall into this game. So don't be foolish. Let's not be foolish. Let's remember and seek God first. I wanted to leave a little bit more time than usual for application because I really feel like this is something that I struggle with and remember, that consumption can be food, it can be the way we treat people. I mean, the money is not necessarily the issue. Oftentimes it is. But there's so many ways this can be played out. So in terms of application, I have three, three things. The first one is, is to acknowledge that consumerism does not work in your life. It doesn't work in anyone's life. We need to hit the reset button. Some of us have been so much into brand culture, it's hard to even think about not having certain things or even giving away some things or thinking about our money in an eternal way. It's really difficult for us. We just don't usually do that. You know, some people I've talked to is I talked to say when they bought a house or when they buy a car, no prayer needed in any of those activities. They just kind of read up this and that and just did did what they did. So a lot of the times we use our stuff, we use our money, and we don't really have any spiritual thing attached to it. And that's just the definition of becoming that, that rich fool. Okay? So we need to reset the button. Chase Bank actually has a, like, Chase Bank actually have a, has an institute that does research. A lot of times the research is done to create better marketing and things like that. But they actually in their research found out this Found out this, and this is from Chase Bank, whose goal is to you know, make more and more money. But look at, what look at their critique of the culture. Look at what they say. It says, consumption is making it more likely that those who rely on that form of life, the life of consumption, consumerism, will abandon their commitments to the shared public enterprises of the nation, such as public education, Social Security, etc., if this inward turn allows them to preserve their own consumption-based identities, people will go against what might be for the greater good. I'm not arguing for Social Security or public education, whatever, whatever you want to call it or put in, the, in that blank. But people will consume so much, and that become their identity, that they will not want to give to the common good. And this is a bank saying this, like, hey, this is kind of scary. <laughs> this is kind of scary. And I think the best answer I've heard for this idea is from a, a, a Christian out of New York, a Christian pastor named Tim Keller. He has this idea that he calls the cheap suit. So a lot of times when people show you this uh, consumer mentality or whatever other religion that they're thinking about, Tim Keller says it's like putting on a real nice looking but cheap suit. You see, a cheap suit's going to go on you kind of tight. And it might look a certain way and it might work for a certain purpose. But if you need to do something like turn a certain way, the cheap suit might have a rip. And then you have that rip. And materialism and consumerism does this to people. They get all this stuff and it looks a certain way and they feel okay. But then something in life happens and it like turns a certain way and then that rips. You see, when someone dies, consumerism doesn't help too much with that. So they got a rip. Something's going on in their soul. And what Tim Keller says is we need to, as Christians, need to teach the world before their false suits are ripping. We need to teach them that the gods that they put on, the consumerism that they put on does not work. It just does not work. It doesn't work. When I'm, at, when I'm at work, I work in a public school system. When I'm at work, I get a chance to talk to a lot of people. And what I, what I uh, have gotten really used to doing is something called high theory. So high theory is the philosophical idea that you, uh, you critique somebody's, uh, you critique the culture. Not necessarily what they're doing, but you critique the culture. So in the early church, you kind of see this in some of the ways that they work with people. They critique what was going on. Not in a way to hurt the people, but just to say, hey, guys, just like you critique Christianity and say maybe you feel like this, this, this doesn't match up. What's going on in the culture or what's going on in your lifestyle, the way you're living? How does that work? Is that working out for you? Does that give you ultimate fulfillment? And so that's what that high theory does. That's what the cheap suit idea works. I mean, works it works like that's what it seems like, where you can kind of critique and just say. Just go with kind of like the lifestyle they're living. And as you ask those increasingly eternal questions, they realize that suit of armor doesn't really work. You know, working all week to just play real hard on the weekend, I hear a lot of people, that's kind of like their mentality. That doesn't work. Because they come back from the weekend, they come back during the week, it doesn't seem like it's really giving them eternal fulfillment. It doesn't seem like it's working the way it should. The next thing in terms of application is follow the model of Jesus, give. Do we buy into a consumer mentality or spirituality, or do we follow Jesus? Consumerism is messing around in churches. We need to be careful for that. It's the very thing we should be fighting against. What was Jesus' lifestyle like? He came from rich. He came from rich and became became less, didn't he? Some of us, we've, we've remade Jesus to be pleasant, middle class. It would be really hard to figure out if Jesus was middle class based on the scripture. It don't look like it. And then when, he, when they tell him what neighborhood, they said, didn't he come from that neighborhood? They're like, didn't he grow up in the hood? Like that, you tell talking about I'm supposed to listen to that guy? So the story of Jesus is one of sacrificial living, of giving. It's very much against. The consumerist mentality. And in this giving, you start storing up treasures in heaven where nothing bad can happen to them. And when you die, you actually get all of that. Isn't that amazing? That should be uh, motivation. The way we use our goods, the way we use our money, our mentality, everything we do, what we consume. Having a uh, heaven mentality, seeking first The kingdom of God, knowing that it will be long-lasting, everlasting. I like to call it spiritual YOLO. Anyone know what YOLO is? You only live once, which is generally used by people to say, act crazy, do whatever you want. You only live one time. It's one of the dumbest things I ever heard. Kids used to say that when they didn't do homework, they look at me and say, YOLO. And I said, now what if I say YOLO? And they were like, oh, then you could probably hurt me. Then I was like, yeah, you can't, YOLO don't work as a lifestyle. Because so if someone bigger and stronger than you says YOLO and takes your stuff, you can't be mad. You say YOLO, they say YOLO. Right? The kids understood at sixth grade. If you guys did I'm sorry, boy. But spiritual YOLO says, I'm willing to lay down everything knowing that there's treasures in heaven. And that I only live once. And God's going to use me with this one life. Spiritual YOLO. I need to trademark that. Okay, last one. And do not worry. This is Jesus' own application to the story. This is what follows after he spoke about the rich fool. We need to realize that we have tremendous value to God, and we don't have to be in that rat race and 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 try to keep up with everyone. We don't have to be in that. So I'm just going to read from the scriptures, Luke 12, six through seven. And Luke 12:22 to 31, and let Jesus give his application. And at this time, we can have the band start coming up as I read this. Jesus says, "Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten by God, but forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore." You are of more value than many sparrows. Isn't that amazing? Somebody somebody once said a real mean joke to me and they said, Carlos, this verse doesn't mean as much to you. But to us it means a lot because of the hairs on the head. Anyway. Second part. We're very important to God. And then Jesus says, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have the prayer counselors come up. One thing the rich fool struggle with is knowing that he needed people. If there's something, please feel free to come and pray. These people have been trained to pray, and they do a really good job. So feel free to come forward and pray about any of those application points. Let's pray. God, you own it all. You are the creator. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not be consumed with consumption. We pray that you would help us to see you and to think eternally and not to minimize the maximum and maximize the minimum. We pray that you would help us to do and to live and to think and to be branded and marketed in our spirituality, all of that towards you, Lord. Not towards the things of this world, Lord. But that we would use your love, that we would look to you, your concern for us, Lord, how you care about us so much. And let that be the thing that stops us from joining into this ideology that just doesn't work, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts. And that we'd be able to look at this solo this enemy of the soul, Lord, and have victory over it. In Jesus' name, amen.